0: I realized the importance of showing up when somebody invites you to show up Mm -hmm. and it was a test and I'm lucky that I passed, but also other people can pass the test too. So show up when a midwife invites you to come talk to them. Just go,
1: just Just go. You never know. You might, you might find out that they're not the midwife for you.
0: And what a blessing that would be. Right. Right. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession.
1: Hey y'all, I am Jamara, and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist, and this season I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love nurse midwife since 2004 preceptor and mother i have a home birth practice called midwife love and a national telehealth practice called midwife rx my mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren matriarchy now i'm layla wyatt i get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. So tell the world, tell us about you. Who are you and then why midwifery?
0: My name is Lindsay Oaks and my pronouns are they and them. I'm a queer and non-binary midwife. I live on the unceded territory of the Kumeyaay people in San Diego, California. And I am introducing myself like that today because there is um, a large community of indigenous folks in my area and they deserve to be respected. They've been here far longer than I have been, than my family, my people have been. And so I work, I work with Indigenous midwives and they deserve respect as well. And so even though sometimes it sounds clunky to, to say words that I'm not used to saying in front of San Diego, California, it deserves to be said first and I am a guest on the land. And so I am, I'm going to say it, whether it sounds clunky or not. Hmm. It's interesting that you say that. It, like, it
1: feels clunky to say. Do you feel like others give you looks or reactions that make it feel uncomfortable, or do you feel like you're more welcome when you respect that?
0: I think that I am trying to be cautious on um, putting my voice over some other voices and also cautious at the same time of not wanting to sound performative and like I'm doing it because I'm sitting and I'm talking with a new person. Uh, when I do my work, I do it quietly and I don't post it on Instagram. I'll post fun things on Instagram, but I don't post, um, my learning and the things that make me humble. And, uh, maybe I should a little more, but, uh, it sounds clunky because I just have to get used to saying it.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think a lot of students want to share their journeys, like their student journeys. And sometimes they get shared before they have even had a chance to sit with them in their own bodies physically, (sighs) right? And spiritually and heart mentally and things like that. I've I don't. I'm just saying. I've experienced that. I've been in Midway free school a couple of years, and someone was like, "I think I'm following the wrong person. I, I don't see you posting." <laughs> I was like,
0: "I actually not sure how to share what I'm experiencing." The midwife I work for, uh, she has a saying: "The plumber's plumbing is never fixed," and I think it applies to midwives because we care for ourselves last, or we tend to care for ourselves last because all we do is care for other people, and so. Uh, I certainly didn't sit and take a breath after I passed the NARM and I don't, I, I will take a breath in September when I take the month off, but I won't be taking <laughs> any, any breaths. So before. you just like jumped right
1: into a practice after you passed the NARM?
0: I have been working under Nicole Morales for three years and I started out as a student assist and I moved into a primary student when the student ahead of me, Emma Moreland, passed the NARM and became an LM CPM. And now that I am a CPM, I'm not an LM, a licensed midwife in California yet, which means I can't practice on my own. Uh, I am still working with Nicole to uh, support her, the clients I have dedicated my time to, and also the student under me, Phoebe Velasquez islas
1: I cannot wait to talk more about them. Um, yes. I know that um, you shared some information about them earlier in your social media and that sent me down a whole nother rabbit trail. So we'll jump into that. <laughs> but before we go and talking about them, tell me about why or what brought you to birth work?
0: <laughs> so this is a this is a question on whenever I meet new midwife friends, we always inevitably ask how you, how you decided you wanted to become a midwife. And I have two stories. So my one story is I graduated from community college. I went to San Diego state to become a speech language pathologist. I didn't like the medical system. I heard of midwifery and I worked on my application for a year. I joined and it became my passion. That's a great story. It sounds lovely. And then there's the real story where I graduated from community college. I moved to go to San Diego state and I was alone, moved out of my hometown for the first time in my life where I didn't know anybody. And all I had was Netflix on my computer. And so I would watch 19 Kids and Counting and some of the Duggar girls were studying to become a midwife. And even though I'm not necessarily a fan of, uh, of the family or their practices, it was the first time I had ever seen midwives portrayed in the media and reality TV, I just consumed. And so there are my two <laughs> stories, I, I have to be honest.
1: That's so interesting. They, I actually have never seen the show, 19 Kids and Counting. I think like I've heard of it. I got the gist of it. Um, right. <laughs> without it. Do you still watch a lot of reality TV stuff?
0: No, I don't. I, I watch a lot of the same shows over and over when I come home tired from a birth. Great British baking show, I'll watch over and over. Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, mindless I stuff re- that I really pay attention
1: to. I read something one time and I can't remember the exact words and or, or the exact way it came about but it was something along the lines of like people who have control issues or fear or trauma or something like that watch the same shows over and over because they always know how it will end and they feel safe in like I know what this episode is going to do I know this and I'm like what is that? And because I'm the same way. And I know a lot of midwives that are right.
0: A subtle bid to Capricorn midwives, I think.
1: (laughs) Well, it's also like we go to these un, you can't unplanned experiences in our lives. Birth is so unpredictable and so uncontrollable because it's not our bodies and our experiences. And so it feels good to come home and just like, watch that same episode of The Office that you know exactly what will happen or whatever.
0: Yes, the CPR episode gets me every time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Or the one where Dwight is delivering a baby. Have you seen that one?
0: <laughs> I've seen every single episode multiple times. The Office is all too accurate.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So you saw
1: Midwives on the reality TV show and you thought it would be a cool experience to jump ship from this like standard college experience and (laughs) my uh I come
0: from I come from a lot of very interesting people I have a very interesting family and I mean that in a wonderful and respectful way uh and specifically my grandma uh with whom I was very close used to talk about how she wanted to have a fifth baby. There, there are four kids my dad and then his three siblings. Um, and my grandpa said, Why don't you go back and uh, go back to school instead, <laughs> instead of having another baby? And so she went back and she started studying biology and reproductive anatomy and physiology. And she would talk about that all the time and how cool it was to be a parent of four and also learning about anatomy and physiology. And so I think that she primed me to want to learn more about that. But yeah, when I discovered midwifery, it just made sense and I never stopped thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And five, seven years later, I am here still.
1: Do you think that there are like some people who have like the thought process, the logistical brain for midwifery, and there are others who don't? Or do you think that that's something that we could all become?
0: I do. I think that there are people that are more capable of dealing with sleep deprivation and staying cool under incredible stress, not just Mm -hmm. from dealing with complications and emergency situations, but from pressure from families, from the stress of transferring with clients to the hospital, midwives in California don't have hospital privileges, licensed Mm -hmm. midwives. So there are a lot of different stressful situations and it's not easy and doesn't feel healthy always. And so I know a good amount of people that after they graduated, did not go on to practice or after they got their CPM. Even after they graduated? That they did it and that was it. And uh, I know people that will get their CPM and their LM and are going to take a good long break before they decide to go back uh, Hmm. for many reasons, but yeah, I think it's, uh, it's not easy.
1: Did you do any? any type of birth work before you went into midwifery like try to be a doula try to do like that life before you decided to just go into it or
0: no (laughs) i i had a big i had a big class uh i went to nijoni institute of midwifery which is the midwifery school here in san diego that is now closing it will no longer be accepting students and so i am Happy that I was able to uh, get my CPM before the school closed. And so I don't have to go to another program. And so I had a big class. The point of the big class was that almost every single person was a doula. Right. And there were like two of us that were not. And it's better in some ways and mm-hmm. not better in some ways. I had to learn a lot from the ground up. But no, being a doula is way way hard i can't do it it's i take like one doula client a year and i probably never never will again it's way way too hard i cannot do the doula work i have to stick with midwifery so no and
1: you're right like it it is one of those like it's better and worse in both turns because um a lot of students have to unlearn being the doula in the room to be the midwife in the room and a lot of students were are better off and knowing that they were going to survive midwifery because they did the on-call life and they did the no sleep and they figured out what life was going to be like before they did this huge jump in investment to be a midwife so like
0: ooh, you have to get and give and i appreciate that conversation that continues to go on uh the Midwives are not doulas conversation. Uh, It seems to be there are two sides. The midwives are not doulas, and midwives can doula as well. And uh, I don't, I wasn't trained in midwifery to separate the two. Midwives are not above giving back pressure, midwives are not above giving sips of water and wiping away tears. And also if I have to deal with a complication, I'm going to, and I will do the repair on the other end, but there is nothing wrong with a midwife also giving emotional support. And that is, that is my truth. And that is a Hill that I will die on.
1: Yeah. I I'm glad that we're both on that same Hill together. It's a very similar mindset. Um, I remember Having this big breakdown one time, because this I think it was the assistant, or I was the birth assistant and not even the student. and um the midwife is sitting on the edge of the bed with her sterols, like, you know, just ready. And this woman is th- like thrashing around on the bed. And I looked at her like, aren't you going to be present with her? Like, grab her and take her into this moment. And and I went to do it and she was like, ah, she didn't hire a doula. Oh. And I I was at this like really challenging moment because I mean, she's not wrong. This person did not go and hire a doula and I didn't want to step in, in a space. I never met this person before all these things but it was like at that moment I was like, I will not be that midwife. You know, yeah. and I will attract the right clients, right? I will attract the clients that understand that they're going to need to walk a hard journey, but they're never going to do it alone. And, um, but that, that you're right. There are kind of like two schools of thought for sure.
0: Yeah. And I know, I know both midwives in San Diego mm-hmm. we have uh, the most midwives in our county per capita in the entire state of California. And so I know a lot of midwives that are in both categories and the ones that uh, do not do do the work because they're midwives are wonderful midwives and they have a lot of really good hands-on skills. And that works with their personalities and the clients that they attract. And then the other midwives attract those clients and. Right. Right. Exactly. So it always works out
1: does it? Do you feel like it always works out?
0: No. but (laughs) It would be nice.
1: Yeah. Some midwives that are not doulas or don't feel like they want to be, you know, they, I think that, I think that they um, use the statement of like, you have to have this bird's eye view of the room. So you can't be double hip squeezing or taking charge or being that close because what if you have to like, remember heart tones and assessing for hemorrhage and checking times and, you know, being in this other energy. And if you're so deep in it, you can't see above it, it can be dangerous. And so they're like, I'm just going to require that everyone hires a doula. Like, it's going to be like a non-negotiable in my
0: practice. What do you think about that? I think that that conversation has a lot of layers. (laughs) And <laughs> All of our conversations. Have it, was, a lot of players. it it is you know it's something to be said about the overall uh, type of clientele that home birth midwives attract, and um, specifically meaning you can pay out of pocket to have midwifery care because insurance doesn't cover it, and so there's there's that, and so the people that are they really don't have the disposable income to have midwives and then find one that they connect with. And then all of a sudden they have to be told that they have to pay another amount of money to have a doula, otherwise they won't get support is uh, an unfair financial burden. And I don't plan on practicing that way. And I also was trained, uh, I, I was trained by a wonderful midwife that does not practice that way also Mm -hmm. and so would you say that
1: because i've heard that kind of come up a couple of times is like you're the way you're going to be practicing is very much resolves around the way that you've been trained and so with some students, because I think this is a reality in our world that we live in, is there are some students who are in the wrong preceptorship, and there isn't a choice. They can't move, they can't travel, they're being abused, they're being taken advantage of, they're learning abuse, they're learning to take advantage. Um, And that, for me, feels like it perpetuates abuse and damage and poor care. Um, But what choices do they have, right? Like, they can't move, they there are no other midwives in the area, et cetera, et cetera. Have you had any experience what I call taking and leaving, right? Like, oh, I'm going to take this from this experience. I'm going to leave that because I don't want to take that into my body. Like, have you had any experience with that? And what feedback can you give to people who can't maybe have such a great experience like you have?
0: I I have had the wonderful privilege of having over 50 midwives to work with here in my county so I cannot understand what it's like to have to work with somebody that I don't align with in midwifery and on a moral level that's also very important to me that I had somebody that I meshed with and I worked with many different midwives before I found my preceptor which then transitioned into my mentor. And so mm-hmm. I while I was lucky, I did work with people that don't really I'm trying to have compassion for for them looking back that maybe don't know how to take care of themselves and so if they become stressed or have low blood sugar or don't have the energy to focus on the situation and also talk to students that maybe don't know what's going on, they can become mean. And, Just a little hangry. <laughs> and, and that is not the student's responsibility. And I also think that that's unprofessional to,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to degrade somebody in front of a client and their family. And those midwives get a reputation. And uh, I do not believe in bashing on social media because their business is not my business, but uh, the communities in which people practice know who is safe and who is not Mm. and that also goes for other queer and trans midwives as well uh the queer and trans students as well as midwives know who is safe and who's not and that is important and hard learned
1: yeah well before i go in because we're here in asking like how did you choose nicole morales like what I want to know more about your interview experience process, like what that was. But before we go there, I'd like to jump back. Why did you choose Noshoni? Was it because it was local and it connected to you in some way? Or were there options that you went through in your mind and tested out?
0: There were options. I love education. And so I was not opposed to moving away and getting a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. And I also toyed with nurse midwifery before I decided on home birth midwifery. And I think that I think I think that I chose Nijoni because it was local, but also because of the community of midwives that I would get to learn from is built in here because of the school. Whereas if I decided to attend Bestier, I would fly in a couple times and I still would have to find midwives in my community. And then, you know, I'm not supporting the local midwifery school. They don't know how I've been trained. So why would they hire me mm-hmm. or move to Philadelphia and attend a certified midwife program or get a master's? It's I could have done it. I'm a community midwife for a reason and I like my mm-hmm. community here, so.
1: Yeah, you are super lucky. What, yes. you're like the last year, right? <laughs> there's
0: one, there's one year under me that will graduate as the school closes. And, uh, there are also wonderful midwives and soon to be midwives in that graduating class. So
1: any news class. about the school, like just revamping
0: in any way, shape or form or COVID was really hard on a lot of programs and it, um, it's I know that COVID is a divisive topic and so I'll just say that some people did not want to attend in person and only attend online and some people only wanted to attend in person and couldn't do online and and the midwives that are coming in as instructors deserve to be paid
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and they deserve to be paid well for their time because they're educating the future and rent in San Diego is astronomical and gas is now astronomical. So it was the perfect storm to ruin something that was really great, Um, but there's nothing wrong with other midwifery programs and there will continue to be midwives here. So I don't think all hope is lost. It's just unfortunate that, that we've lost San Diego's midwifery school
1: how did Nijoni's program work? Was it like a three-year certificate? Is it like a four-year? Is it like you can take up to seven? Like how does that program laid out? The
0: program is 38 months, okay. so three years and some change. And it's once a week for four weeks per topic. And you go all day in person and you fully immerse yourself in the topic and then then the next month you learn from a different midwife on a different topic. Oh, wow. It was very untraditional. I came from structure of San Diego State University and I knew what instructors expected of me, and the professors were very strict. And then I come to Nijoni, and there are people that bring a bag of crystals to line up around them. <laughs> <laughs> Drum and sometimes people sing and even though that's ridiculous, we see it in birth too. Yeah, we, I'm not going to judge the way that somebody wants to give birth, and so it wasn't my place to to yuck that yum as they right. say. The program was one day a week, four weeks in a row. If there was a fifth week, we would get that week off, and we would also have in-person skills where we would we would come in. Um, ideally once a month and train all day in hemorrhage and shoulder dystocia, breech and uh, pap tests, IVs, blood draws, all of the hands-on skills that you need, uh, basic vitals and well-person exams. And mm. so that was how it was lined up and they wanted you to have a preceptorship and it wasn't required to come in with one. And I also think that's uh, an unfair burden to put on midwives to just accept this person that has no idea how to be a midwife because right. it's required to get into a program. So there's there's that. But I, um, I worked full time for the first half of school. And so I didn't have a preceptor. Mm-hmm. And so I felt a little behind. So when it comes to the didactic portion, I did well, I'm type A in that way. I'm just going to do well when it comes to stuff like that. But when it comes to hands-on, I was a nanny and a postpartum doula and my wife was studying to be a web, web developer at home. And so I was the only one working. And so I couldn't dedicate the time that practice deserves to mm. a, a student. And so it even I think halfway through my second year, I then got into preceptorship, which is where I really learned how to be a midwife. And so that was my favorite part of the program is pairing the information with actually doing it in prenatals and at birth and postpartums.
1: So, you know, you answered my question when you said your favorite thing was pairing them together because a lot of people choose the PEP right, the performance evaluation program where you don't get any didactic work. It's just apprenticeship and reading and writing some reports and things like that. Um, Do, and I think in California, it's the California challenge, right? Like you have to do meek and a certain amount of extras and then test, but you can't do PEP in California. The PEP is uh,
0: not accepted here in California you can call it high standards you can call it different standards you can just say that it uh, it's not accepted here but you have to attend a three-year program can't be two year Mm -hmm. has to be Mm -hmm. at least three year I had six years to get my births and my hours right a little over 2,000 uh hands-on hours which you have way more than that by the time you're done with marathon births and clinic days and stuff like that.
1: I know. And you're always like, what do I count at the birth? I was a 30 hour birth, but did I work for 30 hours? Cause I slept for four.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm counting every single one of those hours. I'm counting the drive home with my midwife and my other student on the phone. So I don't. Fall briefing. I'm counting when we go out to Denny's after, because we also don't want to fall asleep. And we're talking about how cool and hard it is to be a midwife. I counted every single one of those hours. Because I did it, and all of the other students should do that too.
1: Mm, that is such good feedback because I think that that's not happening.
0: No, <laughs> Wait. and I also uh, I want to be uh, another privilege that I had in Libra Free is I was in a paid preceptorship, and that is not common. And I, it's not why I picked Nicole. Mm-hmm because it wasn't our agreement when we started. Um, but I, if I were to have a student, I'm so fresh that I couldn't possibly have one now, but someday when I do, I will absolutely pay them and pay them as much as I, as much as I can because of what was put into me. Um, could, always could have been more, right? That you can never, you know, being a midwife is so hard. We deserve more than what we get. Uh, yeah, the I I, I was not a paid preceptorship and that was a big deal. I don't know if you are on all of the social media
1: groups or not, but that's like a really heavy topic is to pay your student or not to pay your student. And um, yeah, what, like, why do you think that that is so divided?
0: I. Again, calling on my compassion for all of the people with all of the opinions, (laughs) understand why a home birth midwife needs to have the $5,000 they get per client. It's around $5,000 here on average in uh, my county, at least. And uh, if you think about all the prenatals and time at birth and postpartum and charting hours and texts and phone calls, it's like a dollar an hour. It's really not much. And so I can understand why a midwife would want to have the money that they earned and it's their name on the line, be theirs. But that's where my understanding stops. You're getting free labor from people that deserve to be paid, that sometimes they have a job on top of being a student midwife, and I don't have kids, most student midwives I know did have children and many children that they needed to support. And it is not fair to expect somebody to work 40 hours for free, and then talk shit about them on Facebook, because you don't want to pay them. I think that that's ridiculous. And you're really showing your ass when you do that. And, and what do you think about these like preceptorships who think they should get paid? I am sure that they were burned. I cannot imagine them not being burned and asking for money. And I, you know, trust is hard built and easily lost and I get it. And, um, and also, you know, that's rude. And I don't, I don't really agree <laughs> with that, but if, if somebody's going to pay to be in a in an apprenticeship with another midwife uh, and they can afford to do it and that's what they're going to do, then I hope that they get good things out of it. Um, I hear about people not signing off on hours and signing off on births and prenatals and I have experienced that, Not perhaps not maliciously, but I have had some paperwork not signed off by other midwives that I worked with. And that was really stressful when numbers matter. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, its own pressured topic there. But uh yeah, it
1: were it they not, not signed happened. off just because like they didn't feel like you had met the standard to be signed off yet? Or it was just like they forgot or it was
0: you wonder, right? You wonder if it's personal or if it's a student thing. Uh, you can try and be likeable all you want, but you can't give a hundred percent to every single midwife that you work with, especially if they're looking for a student assist because they don't have anybody to work with, but they also don't want to pay you. So I, um, don't want it to seem like I'm talking shit about my community. I just believe people deserve to be paid for their work and should pay their bills. And, um, that is what I think about that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, some of the things that come up with other students is, um, I wish someone had told me, right. Or I wish someone had helped me understand what I was getting into, or I wish someone had helped me stand up for myself, or I wish I had been smarter in the beginning about how to set boundaries and standards and things like that. And so that's why I like I deep dive into some of these things is because there are literally folks who don't know and don't have a good, uh, doorway to have crucial challenging conversations
0: the boundaries talk will never end Uh, and I'm a big supporter of therapy especially for midwives so we can talk about the boundaries that we need to have with our therapists Mm -hmm. on our own time Uh, but I experienced that as well I didn't know what I didn't know until I knew it and then I couldn't take it back and you can't Mm. can't back out really, or you feel like you can't back out. And so the way that I try and prevent that for people that come and ask me for my opinion, if I'm going to put my name on something, then I'm going to really think about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be careful with my words. And I'm going to be respectful. And I'm going to be honest. So I've had people ask me about certain midwives. and, um, And I have told them what that what that preceptorship might look like and right. um, and that it might be unhealthy and so um I, I will really try and protect other students from from the abuse that they face and i can't that's also like a savior complex i guess yeah. a lot of newly licensed midwives are really so close to being students that i think they also want to like protect as well but there's only so much you can do and people need Preceptors, whether or not they're, you know, shitty situations, they have to, if you're going to become a midwife, then you need a mentor.
1: I don't know if you feel this, and I don't know if it's the same in your community, but I definitely feel like this generation of students, like the ones graduating now in the next two years, et cetera, we're just like not down for the bullshit. Like we're really just not down for the, like horizontal violence and trickle down trauma. And I was abused. So you need to be abused type relationships. And that I don't, maybe like, this is that like a a generational, um, you know, blindness, but I feel like that's a new thing in the past 30 years. Like, I don't feel like there's been a generation before this who was like, I refuse. They were just kind of like, well, I have to, because I want to be a midwife. Right. Do you feel that similar sensation in your community too?
0: I do. It's there. You hear a lot about the hazing of students and I, I didn't see it as a student because I think it was phased out, but I, um, I hear from midwives. I had to, wash my preceptor's car and I had to be in the office for three full days a week and then do home visits two days a week and then also do paperwork and then do births and all for free and and they treated me horribly and all I did was cry but I'm a midwife now and so I turned out fine why can't you do this Mm. and that it our cultural reset has really taken a lot of that away kind of like the movies that were popular and fun in the 80s and 90s and you look back and you're like oh that is not funny that That was
1: rape (laughs) oh my
0: gosh yes Ace Ventura I'm like sir you are so transphobic you gotta stop I'm taking this out this is not funny so I think that that is kind of how it is you can't, you can't abuse people. It's, it shouldn't be a controversial topic, but.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so when you were looking for your preceptor, you're halfway through, right? You're halfway through midwifery school, you've been working and now it's time to find a preceptor. Before you even started looking, did you set like, these are my non-negotiables or like your sacred you know, yeses and holy no's, et cetera, right? Like, did you create... An outline for the interview or the ex- or the process of finding one that you set
0: for yourself. Absolutely not. No, I uh, I was actually thinking, come on, Lindsay. <laughs> I was thinking about quitting midwifery school because I had gone through almost two full years without really having much experience, and I also mentioned before that I wasn't a doula, and so. I started school in 2017. And so by 2019, I had like five births that I had ever been to in my life where there are Um, four that have been to thousands of births. And so I would cry to my other student midwives and say, I want to be a nurse midwife. They get paid way better than us. They have shifts and I don't have to worry about being trained because they give the training to me. mm -hmm. And And then I woke up and I can't, you know, you can't cry every day for the rest of your life. And so, and so I started doing a birth here, a birth there with different midwives and not finding the right fit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a best friend in the program that's still my best friend. It's the midwife that I share my office with now. Mm -hmm. And the one that I with, her name is Emma Moreland. Uh, she is uh, one of the few Black midwives in all of California and in San mm. Diego, uh, and she's the best. And I would call her and cry. And she had her preceptor Nicole Morales, and my only introduction to her was teaching at the school and taking a spinning babies course from her. But what really made me like Nicole was her storytelling and. Course. Storytelling is a is a passion of hers. Yeah, <laughs> she's very she's very good at it. She's very humble, but she uh, really appreciates culture and passing on culture through stories. And so, after she told one of her classic stories, I called Emma and I was like, Emma, I am gonna ask for your blessing, and it's okay if you say no, but I would like to approach Nicole to see if she'll take on a second student because I don't have a preceptor and I don't know how much longer I can do this without a preceptor. And she thought about it. And then she said, of course, because she's wonderful. And I called Nicole because she gives out her number to her students and asked her if she was uh, accepting new students. And she said, no, and then we talked on the phone for 30 minutes about why she's not accepting new students, but also that if I wanted to come to lunch with her in the following week um, at her house and talk about midwifery, then I was welcome to do that. And I did it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, straight you did.
0: <laughs> I, I could have I been hurt and taken the no and then kept moving but I mean, who's to say no to homemade tacos and city Heights with a midwife <laughs> that is, you know, a wonderful storyteller and invited you over. And so I went over, I had lunch with her and her youngest child and we talked, uh, she talked about her passion for breech birth and pregnancy. I talked about my passion for queer and trans people and, also, caring for people that have experienced sexual assault with compassion and with empathy, and by the end of the conversation and the end of lunch, her youngest child said, "I like them." Right, right in front of me, and that that youngest child is about to be seventeen, um, and I and I adore them. They're far, far wiser beyond their years than any of you know. I'm thirty, yeah. so way wiser than me but that was my end. I had the approval of the youngest child and Nicole invited me to come to um, a prenatal day, which was on a Sunday. The, I think it was two days later. And I went and I decided I was going to take really good notes. I was going to be the best charter that had ever existed because I didn't know how to do anything else.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I still chart really, really well. And <laughs> I just kept coming. I can she didn't invite me back. I just kept (laughs) showing up on Sundays and then on Tuesdays. And then I started like bonding with the clients. Like, were you
1: like, I'm just coming by the way, or did you just literally show up?
0: She, she said, if you wanted to come to the next prenatal day and I did, and I treated it (laughs) as if it was my preceptorship and it was. And then three years later, I realized the importance of showing up when somebody invites you to show up. Mm-hmm. And it was a test, and I'm lucky that I passed, but also other people can pass the test too. So show up when a midwife invites you to come talk to them. Just go. Just, just go. You go. never know.
1: You might you might find out that they're not the midwife for you.
0: And what a blessing that would be.
1: Right. Totally. And you might just be told that you're that you're liked by the youngest child. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic, I, like I said, a fangirling Nicole Morales, I wrote her a couple of months ago. Um, like I said, I'm like, traveling around as a student. And I was like, hi, can I move to San Diego? And, she, you know, similar, I'm not accepting any students right now, but you're welcome to drop in on a day. And I was like, <clears throat> did I mention I'm in Kentucky? I can't, <laughs> can't just drop in on a day. But maybe I'll just book a flight after this conversation and just do it, you know?
0: And Mexico's so, not a bad place to visit, I have to right?
1: say. So, okay, that's, so was there a, was there anything that you knew you did not want in a preceptor? Like you were just like, this is a non-negotiable. Like I cannot deal with this.
0: I, at, at first, yes. I, when I first started my education, I was really hoping to have a queer midwife. And I know that they exist. And there are, there are a lot more people that say that they're a queer midwife with their chest now, but it sure five years ago. It wasn't exactly the same. Uh, And it probably won't be the same again in five years, but I would email people that had the little rainbow at the bottom of their website or the ones that I heard through the grapevine were queer um, whether publicly or not, and I asked if they were accepting students because I wanted to learn from somebody like me. Mm-hmm. everybody told me no. And that was so disheartening that I, I I still I can tell I still hold the disappointment in my body because i I did want, yeah, I wanted I want I want queer people to be treated well. and so I wanted to have a preceptor that would treat people like me well and um and Nicole did that and if she wouldn't have then I wouldn't have stayed with her it's I I can't separate myself from my queerness or my transness so if I would have felt unsafe or unappreciated then it wouldn't have worked out so I guess I did set a boundary I'm proud of myself did you
1: was there anything specific you say Nicole did that, right? Was it, was there anything specific or was it just like um, treating people like human beings? <laughs> lost. I mean, I'm sorry, but that is literally it sometimes is. like the basic requirement and that gets lost when people don't understand other people, they don't become human beings.
0: Yes. And that, I think that's a great way to put it is understanding And if you don't understand, then just listening instead Mm. of hearing, just actually listen. And she did. She listened to me. I offered to change her paperwork where Mm. the, um, the boxes that said mother or father could be parent or birthing person or support person to put three lines for parents instead of just two because there is also a large non-monogamous community here in san Mm -hmm. diego and they exist everywhere Mm -hmm. and she said yes and and she still has that paperwork and she changed her language and it was really hard i started using they them pronouns in the middle of my preceptorship with Mm -hmm. her And she worked really hard to get it right. And it's not easy if you're not used to being around people that use different pronouns from you all the time. And she Mm -hmm. worked really hard. So I think it's the effort that she put in and that if she was going to talk about it, then she was going to be about it.
1: Mm, And
0: intentional. Absolutely. Everything intentional as much as possible. Mm Mm-hmm you know,
1: the, your, your desire to learn from a queer midwife is not, um, it's not rare in the sense that I hear so many of the students that I interview on this podcast who are indigenous, black, brown midwives want to learn from midwives like them. And it's not possible when only 2% of out of hospital midwives are black. Right. And so it's barely, really sad and hard for them as well. and. Um, I, again, I can't help but think this generation is different.
0: I do, I agree.
1: We're going to have more queer midwives that will say yes to people who are looking to learn we from
0: the midwives. We're gonna we're gonna be the midwives that we <laughs> wish we had. And, um, and there are plenty of white midwives, like they'll continue to- (laughs) Sorry,
1: white cisgender, right? Like it's gonna, it's fine, we're fine.
0: They're gonna gonna keep existing because most of the population, you know, is a certain way, but the more, the more queer and trans and black and indigenous and other people of color, the more people that can find midwives, and then become the midwives that they wish they had themselves. It just. And then serve
1: the people that need to be served by people who want to be served by them.
0: It's It's like. It's changing and mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's not changing fast enough. Uh, The world's not set up to support a student midwife, but the community here in San Diego is pretty diverse. And I feel lucky Mm -hmm. about that. So.
1: Do you, have you kind of set like your heart and your mind already out saying like, you will only take a certain type of midwifery student in order to like, stay true to that? Or you would, would you not say that?
0: I would say yes, but not for the reason uh, I think that you're getting at. I, I would need to feel safe with any student that I took and feel safe as a person and as the midwife that's going to put my license on this birth that I'm attending and also somebody that will treat my clients with respect and be all in. If you are going to be in for a birth, you're going to be all in whether you love the client from the start or you have to find something to love about them and hopefully end up falling in love by the end. Mm -hmm. And so I think that safety and, and, Finding somebody that fits you. It's like a marriage. Mm. It really is. And I'm gonna I I will find that right person just like I found my right people. Without saying like, and they have to be queer because that's
1: my my I'm thing. Plus my 10. my my, my um right. Like that's and what do you think about again? Yes, even if it's someone who is. A safe individual what do you think about white cisgendered midwives just saying like I'm only going to take black students or I'm only going to take queer students because they don't have enough access to get preceptors I want to be that person that gives them that
0: I while I think that they're coming from a good place and I get it uh it's a bit of a savior thing when when a white midwife is going to say I'm not accepting any students that aren't um this that or the other uh, it doesn't mean i don't think that it doesn't mean i don't think that you should do that but if you you know when you say it 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 comes a, across kind of like you're centering yourself and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's very judgmental on my part and i i tend to be a very black and white thinker and mm-hmm. so i'm trying to i'm trying to That's one side totally but uh, I'm here to learn
1: from what you think anyway. So it doesn't matter.
0: I don't, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to say I'm only going to work with black midwives for the the rest of my life, because what if they don't want to work with me? You know, what if us, what if all of the black student midwives in the entirety of San Diego don't want to work with a queer and non-binary midwife? And then I, you know, I put that out there and then I'm sitting here, you know, listening to crickets. It's just, Mm -hmm. I'm not, Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, and um, even if someone is, is black and queer doesn't mean that they're a safe provider for someone of a different religious out, you know, thought process or any other, you know, just because you're in a minority group does not mean you're safe for every minority.
0: Right. I feel, I, I felt majority. my entire studenthood and I feel it now. There are, I'm not out at work to every single client that we have because not every single client, um, has this, has the same,
1: mm-hmm. c-
0: for humanity doesn't exactly sound right. Not everybody is this, you know. I'm not going to tell. Almost everybody. like a, it's almost
1: like a maturity, or it's like a cognitive maturity of compassion. I don't know. We have to find that term.
0: It's yeah, it, it, and there's sometimes people that just don't know. They have never met a queer person in their life, or they, they never realized it. And then there sure. are people that uh, actively, uh, mm-hmm. actively don't like queer people or trans people, um, just the same as there are people that actively are racist
1: Mm.
0: and, uh, you know, those people also pay to have home births. And, and so it's a strange, it's, it's a strange place to be in. I don't want to feel like I have to take hateful people just to pay my bills. And also there are opportunities for growth that, that people can have maybe they don't know that trans people are people too until they meet a trans person mm. and they're like oh i get it they're people too you're it's, not a pink unicorn
1: like i thought in my mind i was gonna see <laughs> right it's, like it's a weird
0: i'm not sure not what they're thinking my is. Kids, you know right. it's yeah so i um i don't think it's everybody's responsibility to educate other people because it takes a lot of effort but while I have the spoons, I will be feeding mm. as many people as possible.
1: Will you be in your own practice? Well, I guess that, that leads me to my next one. Like, where do you plan to practice? Do you have a specific community you're looking to serve? Do you have a new, do you have a name for your new practice? Tell me all about this. You've graduated, you're a
0: CPM. Yes. And I what is will. your next thing? I have to become a licensed midwife in California in order to practice. So hey. I will be applying for licensure. Um, I should have already done it, but midwives are very busy. <laughs> licensed or not. Um, I will stay in San Diego. I love it here. I love my community here. Not just my midwifery community, but my queer community and the friends that I've made since I moved here in 2013 I love I love what I've created here I come from a small town called uh, South Lake Tahoe California where it's people were very close and it was very mm. much a a community a family whether you like people or not um mm. and I like that I created that here the only reason I would ever move is uh if politically it became unsafe for me to mm. continue in this country and um Yeah. And that's a sad conversation and that's a reality. So it's a very real reality. I, uh, I won't be serving one kind of person, but I am, I am in another program currently called stream scar tissue remediation, education, and management with Dr. Ellen Heed. Uh, I'm very interested in body work, which I, have learned throughout my mentorship, not just from Nicole, but from Jamie Mose, who co-wrote the book, uh, The Breach Release with Nicole, from Emma Moreland, um, from Gail Tully, who's also wonderful, the founder of Spinning Babies. I I love bodywork, but I wanted to make it mine. And so it's, you know, I'm taking a scar tissue remediation massage for people getting top surgery with a licensed midwife, Patty Garcia in LA. I'm going to continue this two year program. I'm going to learn how to help people not only with top surgery, but with bottom surgery and with other gender affirming surgeries and cis people also need, you know, pelvic floor PT Mm -hmm. and And while there are wonderful PTs out there, it's another financial burden when we're asking people to go, you know, do this, do that, you know, go to the chiropractor and the acupuncturist and the pelvic floor PT and get a doula and get a birth tub. And not everybody's going to be able to afford that. And so if I can do as much as I can in-house to help people, then that's what I'm going to do. So that is what I plan to do. If I could have only queer clients, wouldn't that be wonderful? Sure. But the fact is, is that they don't have babies as much as, as uh, cishet folks do. Is you said a
1: two-year program or a 10-year program? Two
0: year. okay,
1: like, whew, ten years. Okay. I was like, 10 years. That's amazing. And at the end, is it like a certification, a license, just another jewel in your jewel box? I think,
0: I think that it is a bedazzled certificate. Yeah. Um, the people collecting certificates, yeah. like they collect Pokemon is very trendy right now, but, uh, I want the hands-on experience and I find all of my clients, body work clients through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. And so I would like to continue to um, provide people with, uh, with comfort and with love and with care and have that get out and Mm. me flash my little certificate badge. Let me rub on your top surgery. (laughs) You know, that's just a perfect example
1: of like, um, the, like a normal, Midwife mindset, like I immediately went to like cesarean scar recovery or um, cervical scar tissue from IUDs or episiotomy scar tissue. And you brought in this whole new world of color as well, right? And so it's just like that, it's just that one example of the initial thought of what you would use that for and the world of what you can, of what's out there that some midwives just don't see or understand that's really um a great example of how you're going to be serving all atmospheres and and communities. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. So do you have a birth story that you would like to share with us?
0: I I thought long and hard about this because because I I haven't been to an incredible amount probably I think I've probably been to um Eighty or 90 births at this point as a student midwife, which doesn't seem like a lot but is a lot considering I had one birth by the time I got into midwifery school. Um, but something that really made me a midwife took me from student to midwife was an experience I had last year. Um, i I went to... I went to work in Pennsylvania for six weeks um, with a midwife that works with the Amish community because they take you know 30-ish births a month and, and there was one midwife and there were two students and they, they were just drowning and they needed help. And so another midwife here and I flew out to, to help and um, you don't have to have a license in Pennsylvania and so so I needed to practice the way that the other midwives practiced and so I really had to step it up and it you know there it wasn't for bragging rights it was to provide people with good care and let me tell you the Amish community really do know how to have kids they it is you know we have beautiful sacred births here with twinkling lights and birth photographers And in call water birth, and you let the baby swim up to the top and crawl to latch, they know birth so much better than the midwives because all they do is work and family and birth. And it is, I learned so much from people that view it as something so normal. And every day, it's not a big event. This is life. And it, and sometimes this is death and life and death we don't have control over that um nobody can nobody can play god in that way uh, if I could use that saying I don't know if I'm qualified to use that saying but I learned from these from these families what you know how normal birth can look and then I did it again and again and again and again and again and I I. I went to four births in one day. <laughs> After you had done like 10 in a year and a half or something, yeah. right? I don't know. Yeah. It was something, yeah. It was, so I it was a really hard experience because um specifically um they're very religious there. Mm-hmm. And I was instructed. To not talk about being queer. I couldn't talk about having a wife. I couldn't talk about being non-binary. I couldn't use my pronouns. I didn't exist. But it wasn't I wasn't there for me. I was there to to help people that otherwise wouldn't have a midwife. And mm. and it was a really hard experience. And I don't know if I personally could do it again, but I learned more about midwifery in those six weeks than I think I than I think I could have in California from the English, as they yeah. as they call it. So um, while that's not a birth, um, that was a very humbling overall birth experience. Um, you know, people having 16 kids, they they tell you when the baby's gonna come. And if you don't have your gloves on, they'll wait. And you put your gloves on and they sit down and they're dead silent and then they have a baby and they're gone two hours later because they have 10 other kids at home so yeah and uh i
1: gotta say doing you know feeling and doing leopold's and someone that's had 13 ch- is so wow it's a very very different experience
0: you said you're in kentucky mm. there's a big amish population yeah. in Kentucky as well they're uh, related a good chunk of them mm-hmm. are related everybody has the same four last names also so I'm sure yeah. we know relatives if you were
1: I'm sure you've seen babies of my sister's mother's mother babies yeah it's um it's it is so incredible and I it's interesting like I think everyone should have a chance to experience time with the Amish because that's the kind of the same takeaway that I had too was like it's like another Tuesday night it's just yeah it's just so normal um and I was like is it the area you know is it is it midwesty is it midwesty people and I was like no it's 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 mainly Amish but yeah but that's what I mean about like birth is different everywhere it's not The same birth is birth, sure, but like it's not the same.
0: It's not, it's not the same. And, um, and there are people that go to other countries to get births, Mm -hmm. right? It's not, I don't think that that was accepted, um, in my program anymore. But there are, there are some specifically white midwives that have gone to other countries to get their births and have, you know, posted these pictures and done the whole white savior thing when there are, you know, there are people here that look like you or look like me that can also be served. And so I felt, uh, I felt like I was staying in my lane, mm-hmm. so to speak, but, um, but, well, and they, they needed I, a midwife. They needed oh, care like, too. So it's not like you were
1: just going out there to take advantage of Amish and get experience. Like you, they needed help. No,
0: I didn't get paid. Yeah. I worked. Yeah. Three, and I paid for a rental car, and I paid for my food and my gas, and I worked my ass off. And uh, and if I, if you know, if I were in a different place, I probably would do it again. I'd go back for, for the community, for the Amish. Mm-hmm. I worked way too hard, and the midwife that. I worked for had been, she's probably been to 10,000 births. And I don't think that that's an overestimation. I think that she has yeah. absolutely been to 10,000 births, 500 breach, 700 twins, triplets at home. She's done it all. Uh, she could do birth in her sleep. And that was, that was wild to learn from her as well. Mm-hmm. So you, when did you take the norm? I took the Narm at the end of June on the 28th and the 29th of June. I took it in two parts.
1: I was just going to say, wait, you can do that.
0: You can. So uh, I. I'm really going to just lay it out, lay it all out there. Uh, I recently pursued a diagnosis for ADHD. And there are a lot of midwives that um, are coming to terms with having ADHD. I almost wonder if midwives are like better have than to be. ADHD yeah. because they can do so many things mm-hmm. at once. So because I have a clinical diagnosis, a, I, I mean, what a term, right? I, uh, I asked for accommodations. And so they split my, they split the arm into two parts. I got to be in a room by myself. I got to have earplugs. And, uh, and it was very, very worth it. I wish I could have done my entire lifetime of education with accommodations. And I did not get preliminary results. Mm. Most people I know get results. And, you know, as soon as they walk out 30 minutes, one day, eight full days later, I got my results and, and I went back and forth. I passed, I killed it to, I failed. I'm going to have to take this again. I'm going to have to pay again. Nobody's going to want me because I failed. And of course that's not true. Just because I don't pass a test doesn't mean that I'm not going to be a good midwife. NARM does in not limbo. define you. It <laughs> does not define you. It does not, but I was in limbo and it was, it was worse stress being in limbo than it was preparing for the NARM. Hmm. zero out of 10 recommend
1: geez some people have said that they take it and then they like go to a place where they don't have cell phone access or like they go on vacation where like you just can't look so it doesn't matter if it's coming in it doesn't matter if you passed or failed like you're the control is nine like you can't do
0: anything about it and like oh, that's a good trick oh man it was definitely out of my control. Uh, and I, I feel like I studied, I prepared for the NARM in, um, in a way that worked for me, that wasn't necessarily the way that I had been told that people study for the NARM. Uh, I barely cracked a book, any of my midwifery mm-hmm. books through midwifery school and, and studying for the NARM. Not that I didn't retain the information, but opening a thousand page textbook and reading chapter after chapter will not stick in my head. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I had every, you know, every study guide available, every midwife around me and all of my midwife friends, and I would go with them and they would quiz me. And there was one midwife, uh, Tatiana Kuntz here in San Diego that would spend at least eight hours a day with me every single day before the norm. I, I mean, I think she missed one or two days, but she easily was with me for 40 hours. She asked me every single question on huge. I think it was Jess Breedy's study guide. And mm-hmm. we talked about every single topic. And I, that's how I learned is I talked it out and I actually feel like a midwife now. And I retain the information. So I feel like it worked for me, but I couldn't. I couldn't do the whole book thing. I had a whiteboard and I had my my peers, and that is how I studied. And I got an so, you,
1: so you got like a study. There there are all these study guides, right? And you took those study guides and brought them to midwives and said, like, ask me the questions. Something that I hear a lot with NARM is that there's like these questions that are like pick the best answer.
0: Every single one. Pick the best answer.
1: And some of that can be really, really subjective. Pick the best yeah. answer for different communities, for different yeah. situations. Well, how long has it been? What, what did her prenatals look like? What about her labs? What about the there this? So how did you, what, what would you say is the best way to identify the best answer for NARM? The,
0: Everybody told me think like a beginning midwife, think like a basic midwife. Mm. I wasn't even a midwife yet. So I didn't, of course, I didn't really know what an entry-level midwife is like because I'm an entry-level midwife right now. Right. So I tried to go with either the most logical answer, like on the flat black and white, black and white basis, logical, or if I recall, if i were going to have to transfer this client and triage was reading my report mm. what would i get sued the least for so uh interesting those are good pointers but, you know because the norm is not indicative of what midwives practice like though right. maybe in some places and i still feel like the question most of most of the questions were worded fine enough, but uh, I did have to, I couldn't, I had to m- remember that I was not trying to outsmart the test. I was just trying to, trying to show that I had an overall grasp of the information of what was important to be a midwife.
1: Mm, that's interesting. So it was almost like, cause if you had thought about it as like an advanced practice step, you would have gotten it wrong because that that would have just been the wrong answer.
0: Yeah, or or t- sometimes this the answer that I would have wanted to pick maybe is not legal in another state, ah. and so I you know it's not I, if I don't have the skill set then I shouldn't be choosing this answer. And if I have it here in California, but on the Narm overall they that's right. not legal. CPMs to do then I'm gonna get it wrong because I'm not choosing the most logical and basic answer um so yeah I don't know what questions I got right or wrong mm. but I feel like it was straightforward would it have been nice to get in the 90s <laughs> I will take my 81 I w- I'm yeah. with my 81. what's a passing score 75 76
1: so like over 75, like you have to get over a 75 or something. It's
0: weighted differently. Prenatal care, um, prenatal well-person overall midwifery, postpartum, well-baby, all of that is weighted individually and then combined. So I have no idea how they come up with the scores, but just because you don't get a 75 in- labor does not mean that you're not going to pass if you aced postpartum and well, baby and well person. So
1: did you take it? I know you said you were like in a single route, but did you take it around the same time as other students in your cohort?
0: I did. There are, there are, or there were four of us left that hadn't been licensed and we had all been talking to each other, you know, some some wanted to quit some were stressed that we weren't going to get our numbers in time I had to go out of state to get my numbers because I needed to be done I couldn't afford to be a student anymore and so we the four of us really tried hard to stay consistent and so there was um one other person from my cohort took it two weeks ahead of me I just took mine uh one other will take it in the next two months. And then the last one will get in the next like three or four months. So ideally we'll all be licensed by the end of the year.
1: Yeah. And like y'all are helping each other out, get like, take the norm and be prepared. And like, did you pass along all of the
0: things that helped you to the next folks? And a hundred percent, I couldn't have done it without other people helping me. Yeah. Like it was way more than paying it forward. People gave me their time. Midwives came from out of the woodworks. When I posted on Instagram that I was stressed about the norm, I was flooded with inboxes, (sighs) of people being like, I believe in you. You can do it. I'm going to send you my study guide from people that I have barely talked to. And it, it really touched my heart. And I like, I still feel the tears in my eyes from feeling so appreciated and knowing that I was going to do that for other people. Mm -hmm. And I I will continue to do that for other people.
1: Speaking of doing it for other people, you are coming out of this preceptorship that you have gleaned this amazing fashion. And it sounds like your preceptor only takes like one student at a time, maybe two, like one in primary, one in assist, or just one. Who's taking your spot?
0: So uh, for the last bit of my primary studenthood, I um, worked with a student, her name is Phoebe Velasquez Islas. She is a traditional birth worker here in San Diego. And what that means is she practices from a specific cultural lineage. And, and she has, she has so much knowledge in things that I wasn't raised with that I have no idea anything about, um, that the, you know, the kind of midwife she'll be and the kind of midwife I am are going to complement each other, but they will not be the same. And so yeah. she, she's training right now and she, um, she's going to an online program, um, but is not tying time to it. She's here to learn how to be a midwife she's not here to get numbers and that's really hard to do and she's doing it authentically and uh, so I will stay I have committed to the practice until she is fully ready to be a primary Uh, however long that takes I will continue to be there and support her and even after that she is going to be a wonderful midwife and she has already taught me a lot and I'm uh, very honored and humbled to be working with her especially now that I am done being a student and she's Mm going to forward. What does that look like
1: to learn to be a midwife without only thinking about the checkoff of the number of the skill? Um, That's something that some people strive to do and start off wanting to do. And then get caught up in the, well, I could be done in blank many months or years if I just focus on this trajectory. Um, what does that look like for her? And how exactly are you going like to stay on as primary to support her in that?
0: I, I do, just like you said, I think a lot of us try and, uh, try and say we're not in it for the numbers. We want to learn how to be a midwife. And while that is true, you have to get numbers. There's, you, you have to have a certain amount of births and prenatals and postpartums and newborn exams. You have to do it. And so on some level you are there for numbers and, and the, you know, the little break that I got from getting my numbers and from getting, uh, getting my CPM, it was short, but it was wonderful that I didn't have to worry about the numbers. And Phoebe is doing that because she doesn't care how long it takes she wants to be a good midwife and she wants to be the right kind of midwife for her community she works a lot with teenage parents and she works a lot with the Kumeyaay people on the reservation here um, she works with black and indigenous peoples and people of color and she really tries to put her effort into the people that she wants to serve mm-hmm. and so she if that means it takes five, seven, 10 years for her to get all the information she needs, she's going to do it. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, she has, she has four daughters. She has a husband. She has a whole bunch of pets. She has this whole life and she's still going to dedicate what she can of her life to becoming a midwife. And, uh, I think that's beautiful. So she'll, she charts beautifully. She can set up a birth room like nobody's business. And, um, and so what it looks like now is I, I try and get her to do the newborn exam. And sometimes she says, yes. And sometimes she says, you do it and I'll follow you. And so we talk about every single thing you do when you do a newborn exam from asking the parents permission to touch the baby to asking the baby's permission to touch the baby to pausing when you're feeling the head and feeling the sutures and you know, what, what you can feel and how you can feel the plates of the skull move, you know, all you know if you could be unrushed to do anything you wanted right. in a recording exam. This is just an example. Right. So that's that's what I'm that, that's what that looks like. She can learn so many wonderful things from Nicole and she will. And so I'm thinking about what I can give her in addition to that. And uh yeah, and I'm trying. I'll be a better midwife from trying to teach. Trying to teach and trying to model it. So you know, I think one of
1: the one of the driving factors in, and we've kind of already talked about this a little bit, but one of the driving factors in a student midwife's journey is finances, and I have been met with a lot of, um, you know, rough attitudes when I say similar like. I'm here for the experience, the journey. It's like, well, what a nice privilege because it's true, right? There are folks who need to be done with Mm -hmm. this process so they can make money as a midwife because they are doing this right now for free and um, going to school and precepting and being in an apprenticeship with absolutely no income cannot take 10 years for some people it just is not possible so do you feel like part of that is the system at work right the non-paid apprenticeships right
0: and it's it's also the the medical system here in this country low-risk births cost less than mid-level and high-risk births do in the hospital and insurance companies do not recognize home birth midwives, even though we cost a fraction mm-hmm. of what it costs to have to give birth in the hospital and they pay the insurance companies are going to pay the hospitals. I just, so that is a little, so it's like way up here now. system. <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah. Punching down so hard. We don't even know who's punching us right, right. now. So, um, yeah, so I was able to give a lot of my time because uh, once I got into my apprenticeship, uh my wife started working full time and she's able to she's able to support us both and I am very lucky because totally. I, I used to work 12-hour postpartum doula shift and then go to school and then get called to a birth and no sleep for days on end. I thought I was going to die and I'm so lucky I don't have to do that anymore. And some I Phoebe takes clients. She's a doula. She's been a doula for, uh, for a long time. And, uh, and she'll continue to do that. She, uh, she has a lot of herbal knowledge as well. And Mm -hmm. so she's going to make it work for her. I made it work for me with postpartum doula and nanny Um, placenta encapsulation, whatever you think about that. It's, uh, it's not easy, but the reward monetary or not, uh, seems to be worth it at the end for those that stick it out.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, I have all sorts of examples on on ways that I think that shortcutting it is only going to shortcut yourself and the people that you serve. But yeah. we just can't see that till the end, right? Like some people just, you know, they have to get through and we we don't know their story. So it's so great to hear we can get some slow burns going on so that that way we can have really good cools (laughs) whatever we want whatever crazy Ah. (laughs) so um what would you if you could give advice to students or new midwives or preceptors or maybe to phoebe
0: Uh, say? All of my unsolicited advice, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would first tell people if possible, if it works for you, if you can financially do it, get a therapist because healthcare is rough and birth trauma is real. And it, it does not only happen for the person that's birthing. It happens for midwives. And if you don't have a good support system and not everybody does, and you carry somebody else's trauma with you to another birth, then you're impacting that person's birth with something that's not even theirs to carry. And so taking care of yourself with therapy or with other things, um, get, get a water bottle that you like to drink out of. So you don't get dehydrated, get a migraine and then drive off the side of a cliff, uh, so you know basic things like that i think it's nice to hear but uh if i could give one piece of advice to anybody that wants to be a midwife i would say do it because if you are not gonna be a midwife you won't do it if Mm. you're not going to be a midwife you will not make it through and i don't mean that to sound rude because that's not at all what i mean it is not easy uh you everybody says it but you will miss weddings you will miss funerals you will miss birthdays you will miss high school reunions you will miss anniversaries and dates you will miss pride you will miss everything for this work and at the end of the day it's worth it and um, so I would tell anybody that wants to be a midwife do it go for it and um and, uh, I, I wish you luck.
1: Hmm.
0: What does your wife think about your work? Oh, I, well, <laughs> I feel I, like midwife
1: partners are like special in their own ways. And you, I was thinking about, you're talking about these things that we're missing. And I'm like, yeah, that first time that you get called into a birth in the middle of sex, it's just like a feeling unlike yes. anything
0: other. <laughs> Do I even have time to shower? Yes. So, um, I, I have an incredible partner. Her name is Natalie. We've been together for over seven years. We've been married for just about a year and a half. She, you know, spouses, partners of midwives are a special breed. She, she gets up with me when I get called in the middle of the night while I get on my scrubs, she makes me a cup of coffee and she gets no. me lunch. She hands it to me with my water bottle filled up as I walk out the door every time. She has never once not woken up with me, even if I have, even if it's, you know, it's a mole tip and you got to go now, come in your PJs, don't brush your teeth. She still gets up with me every single time and she doesn't have to. And, and I can't expect other people's partners to do that. because They're not Natalie, but she, she built my entire website from the ground up by herself and she doesn't, she doesn't design websites. She figured it out because she's smart. She helped me with my application. She helped me with my NARM application. I have an incredible partner Mm. and she's also very compassionate. And so when I come home and cry and I can't tell her what happened because, because it's not, it's protected health information. She gets me a hot water bottle and a blanket and she puts on Great British Baking Show and she sits next to me and she puts her hand on my leg and doesn't talk. And uh, I am very lucky to have a wonderful partner. She's she's out of town at her 10 year high school reunion right now, so- I Or you'd pull her. her in. <laughs> I know, like I talk yeah. about her all I want, but I, I am very lucky to have, uh, to have a wonderful spouse because it's apparently very
1: hard to stay married. In- I was just going to ask, did you, what's the timeline?
0: How long did it take you to finish midwifery school? I applied in 2016. I started in 2017. I graduated in 2020 and I passed yeah. the NARM in 2022. So I, from 2017 to 2022, five full years. Yeah, And I had six. So um, yeah. to get all yeah. of my births but you knew her before. We met at San Diego State. Uh, she worked at the apartment complex that we both lived at. And uh, I had a partner at the time that went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and I would go and pay my rent in like $100 chunks on the day that I knew she was working. Okay. And then I'd go home and I'd call my partner and I I'd, I'd tell him about the the girl with the golden eyes at the front desk. And, um, and, uh, you know, he, uh, we had a bit of an open relationship and he encouraged me to ask her out when we, uh, decided to take a break and we went on one date and we have been together ever since. And, um, and yeah, she's the love of my life. And sometimes, sometimes you find it in a weird way and I'm sorry that relationship ended in such an abrupt way, but he knew me. She knew me, we met when I was 23, when she was 21 and I'm 30 now, she's 28. And she, uh, we've talked about, you know, midwives getting divorced and how it's like, what is it like 50% now we've talked about the trauma that comes with watching somebody have a really hard birth. She, she talked me through how hard it was in Pennsylvania to not exist and to not be able to mm-hmm. talk about her. She has been there for everything she's never ever once raised her voice to me or yelled at me we have never been in a fight I she's never said a bad word to me I just like
1: you know no, too much too There's much well, and it is a big deal like I have this um I don't know if it's a theory and I don't even know if I have it or where I got it from but someone was saying something along the lines of mm-hmm. You know, if you find your partner prior to birth work, it's really rare to be together because you are like a different person all of a sudden. You have a, she did not sign on to 24 7 call and middle of the night waking up to make you coffee and lunches or the trauma of, you know, a fetal loss or a hemorrhage or, you having to hold back a lip. You didn't want to be up in there for, you know, like she, she didn't originally sign on for that. Like she met you as non, as a non-birth worker.
0: Yes. And now uh, we, we applied together. We had this conversation. Yeah, We both consented to yeah. me becoming a midwife, no matter what it looked like. And we were, it was a rude awakening for both of us. Yeah. And, you know, when it, we actually miss stuff. I miss things. I can't go Mm -hmm. and visit my family in Lake Tahoe. I can't visit her family in Modesto. Uh, I can't do it because Mm -hmm. I'm always on call and it was rough and she is all in and Mm -hmm. she was all in when I decided to do it. And she will be all in if I decide to take my midwifery in whatever direction I do. I have full faith.
1: Yeah. It's, um, I think, and, and I'm. I can't imagine dating as a midwife, though. Like, can you imagine? So I have.
0: <laughs> you know, I, th- sometimes things are a little loose. Queer couples yeah. have, you know, the same. Rules so, like,
1: when you, when you go on, like, i not a lot of midwives are are able to successfully
0: date. What is it like? Successfully is the word. There's the key. <laughs> yes, I um it's, it's, it's very interesting to, you know, it's a, this is a whole other podcast to talk about being non-monogamous while married or while having a nesting partner and what it looks like to, um, to put your energy, your full energy mm-hmm. at one time into one person and then another person and another person. And I think it midwifery has helped me be a better a better partner to my wife, but also to the people that I have dated, Mm -hmm. hopefully. And um, being non-monogamous has also helped me be a better midwife because I have the ability to give good effort into all of my clients. And I don't Mm. feel overwhelmed because I have to focus on one. I can, I can balance my time. So, uh, dating, you know, I've been called away on a date. I have, you know, been called away at a sleepover, um, And, and if you want to, if you want to hang out with me, that's what it is. And if you don't like it and we can still follow each other on Instagram, but (laughs) but you can't hang. I have a great group of friends that none of them do birth at all, but they just get it. I have only queer friends, really, like maybe one cishet person um, that like is honorary queer and they all have no idea really what I do for a job, but so supportive.
1: Totally. Totally, Doesn't, get out yeah. there, do the catchy baby thing.
0: Yeah, they're like, uh, nobody, none of us are gonna have kids, and they're like, I'm not doing any of that. But you go do it because you're good at it, and I just <laughs> love them. That's great. You
1: know, as a follow up to that, you know, this is the same question that gets asked to doulas, etc. But like, do you ever have pushback from people that are like, well, you haven't had children, you wouldn't know.
0: Absolutely, I- I've had less. I've had less from. I've had less than I expected. I had a lot when I worked with the Amish. Yeah. Culturally that's, you know, you don't learn about babies until you're having a baby.
1: Right. And I think that culturally too, in a lot of communities, the midwives were just simply the eldest woman that had the most children. So it's Um, like kind of understood that it would be a strange thing, but it doesn't have to be anymore. It
0: doesn't. And, um, And it's, I know a lot of people that got into birth work because of their own birth experiences and oftentimes their own birth trauma that they're trying to heal from. And they want to support other people and and shield them from birth trauma as well. And, um, and so what I have to say when people push back against me, not having children is that I will not be comparing your birth to my birth because I haven't birthed. I can focus on your birth in this moment. And I don't have to think about anything that I would do or that you should do. I'm here just for you. Mm-hmm. And I will continue to be here just for you. Um, and, uh, and that's good enough for some people. And sometimes you just want that elder. You want the person to try to thousand kids. And I totally get that. And I will give you their information so you can go interview with them. But sometimes that doesn't matter when you're a good midwife. Yeah. And that's, yeah. The goal.
1: And that's so similar in, in a lot of um, birth workers too. I, I always tell a lot of people who reach out and they're like, I'm thinking about becoming a midwife, but I've never had a kid. Am I going to be okay? And I'm like, you have so many edges yeah. over people who have had mid- births. Couple of those are exactly that. If you had a traumatic birth experience, you're not carrying that. If you had a beautiful orgasmic birth experience, you're not carrying that. Mm-hmm. You don't have kids that you have to like take care of in the middle of the night when you get called to births so and worried about who's taking them to the soccer game,
0: which is horribly stressful for yeah. the people that I work it's with. It's so easy. It's like you still have to get groceries and you have to find somebody to take care of your kids, but you have to go to this birth because yeah. this is your job and this is your life. I don't know how. Parents do it, but you, but I don't have to. And I Mm -hmm. am so happy that I don't.
1: And it gives the birthing person the ability to hear that they are a really big priority in your life. Yeah, done.
0: I I also don't take many clients a month. So I I enjoy working with, I, I enjoy working in a team of three. So the licensed midwife, myself, and then the student midwife and usually three births a month and that's it. And it's the perfect amount because mm. I can give you all my time and I can still go home and be with my wife and I can get groceries. Ideally I would get a shower or two and it's freaking <laughs> out.
1: <laughs> when you're the licensed midwife, are you going to do the same? Like a license, a CPM or a license, a senior student and an assist or a license and an assist or what does that look like?
0: I ha- it's a lot of responsibility. It's so- to have a student. It just, even me not having a student, but trying to support the other student is I feel so much pressure to, to do it right. And to, to do right by them, because I want them to be a good midwife. And if I teach them something wrong or something that ends up being tragic, then I would, I carry the weight. And so I would love to work in a team of three. Mm -hmm. I feel like you know, the relationship that you can make with the family when you're in a team of three makes birth safe. But will I have two students? I don't know. Maybe in 20 years. Yeah.
1: So right now it's like two midwives and a student or two midwives and an assist is what your thought process is. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people like that three thing because It's like one for mom, one for, or you know, one for the birthing person, one for the baby and one for charting, right. Or yeah. cleanup or whatever. And you rotate who's what
0: absolutely it it really works and and also sometimes clients connect with one person more than another person as a student there was a client that wanted me to transfer with them to the hospital over the midwife mm-hmm. and she was very proud of me for doing that because i had put the effort in to yeah. make that relationship and so we continue to do that we also do a lot of a, a lot of body work and it's hard to yeah to do that all day. So we get to share, you know, we get to do s- sideline release and then somebody else jiggles and then somebody else does ligaments. It's, it's nice to have people to bounce off. Um, yeah. and uh, you know, and then sometimes you do, you do twin births at home when there's doctor and, and three is not enough and you wish you had more and but three have you had some of that experience with um,
1: either Dr. Stu or his Veronica right is it Veronica uh,
0: Dr. Flores Dr. Flores yeah, yeah. Uh, I have I have attended births with both Dr. Stu and Dr. Flores I have attended one birth with Dr. Flores mm-hmm. and then um, and then I think two or three with Dr. Stu and uh, it's very. I, f- I feel deprived that I didn't get a chance to be a midwife that is able to autonomously practice and care for people with twins right. or people that, uh, that, or breach that or- presenting preventing breach just because it used, it used to be in scope. And then it was taken away, um, by people that have no idea what midwives do, but, um, it's interesting to practice with doctors and I, it's, and I also think it's incredible that a doctor would want to do home birth considering the way that they were trained. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, really, I have a lot of respect for people that support home birth and, uh, and also I think midwives are fully capable of being the primary care provider. And I would love to see twins and breach back in the scope of California licensed midwives. Do you think but that will ever happen? They can dream. Uh, they
1: Because can- <laughs> I heard something about VBACs being taken away from CNMs up in California,
0: which is horrible, and they're trying to do it with licensed midwives as well. <gasps> and and I just, you know, I don't, I don't understand. I don't. I, I don't understand and I also have compassion. Again, I have to bring myself back so I don't get really rooted in anger. That the people that work in hospitals see the worst of the worst. They don't know what normal physiological birth looks like because they've never done it. And right. that's almost all that we do.
1: And they see the 10% that transfer in for an epidural or pit. And of that 10%, the 1% that are like lights and sirens.
0: Yeah. yeah what what do we call it? it? Train
1: wreck so, transfers.
0: <laughs> And I try, you know, you try not to transfer train wrecks. That's, you know, that's, you, you do your best. Some, I, I'm probably going to be more conservative as a new midwife and transfer clicker than somebody that's been practicing for 30, 40 years. But, you know, they, they see horrible things, but, but we see a lot of really normal stuff. And so I just think that it's a different way of practicing and a different skill set. Mm-hmm. And we are midwives are experts of our field, yeah. And we can dictate what kind of births that we that we can do and we can't do. And so um, there's a lot of talk of there being a midwifery board in California and stepping away from a medical board, and that will have positives and negatives to it. Uh, it would be great for midwives to oversee midwives, right? Um, and I I'm looking forward to seeing this conversation go. Go forward and see what kind of midwife I'm going to be. Yeah. You know, do
1: on. you see yourself like doing policy work in any
0: way, shape, or form? Or I used to want to. Yeah. And I just I don't. That's a lot of effort, and it's a lot of talking, and it's a lot of face time with people that that don't know what you do and don't yeah. really care. And I don't. You know, Sarah, we have Sarah Davis here in San okay. Diego that uh, that is really involved in politics and as a midwife. Um, and so I think Sarah can, can do all of yeah, that. Cool. all Be here on the other side. <laughs> so where can people
1: find you just to follow your new journey? And is there anyone that you would like to, um, share cash app Venmo their accounts for, for supporting the journey?
0: yes uh you can find me on instagram instagram you can find me on instagram a uh, long interview uh instagram at lindsey oaks midwifery you can find me on facebook at lindsey oaks and you can find me at my newly published website as of today uh, mm-hmm. Um, so it's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y O-A-K-E-S. And if there is another Lindsay Oaks out there that doesn't have an E in Oaks, we're not the same. We're no we have completely different careers. So (laughs) um, and I'm I'm happy to talk to any any students or anybody that wants to be a midwife or that wants to know what a midwife does. Uh my goal is to provide and trans people with low cost sliding scale, possibly free access to healthcare, PAPs, STI tests, well-person exams. I'd love to have people not have to worry about paying their bills or getting screened for STIs and making sure that they don't have cervical cervical cancer. So um, Mm. I don't know how I'm going to get the money to... To do this, but I have always worked on a sliding scale, and I'll continue to do that. Um, and if anybody feels inclined to donate, I would, uh, I would be honored if they would donate to my fellow student Phoebe's journey as a midwife. Uh, it's it's a lot to pay for school and to have a family and to work for for not a lot with a lot of hours. So you can find phoebes venmo at and i'll spell it out uh, phoebe velasquez Islas, and then paypal at miss at gmail.com and so i will perfect you so. know you'll
1: have all of that in the show notes for everybody sure listening will. we'll make sure to put those in the show notes uh Lindsay's website as well as Phoebe's Venmo and Cash App and and ways to support their journeys.